Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. This episode is going to be having quite a bit of news because we did have the Super Bowl uh, trailers that were dropped. Specifically, we had teasers from The Rings of Power, Multiverse of Madness, and the upcoming Disney Plus show Moon Knight. Other than that news, we actually have a fair amount of other news as far as premieres, uh, date announcements, and character announcements goes, which we'll get all into in just a little bit. And then one solid, really juicy rumor. Uh, the comic book pick list for the week is really solid. It's actually two weeks of pick lists on the, well, three weeks. This is a couple of weeks of pick lists on this episode. We have um, from the first week of February, the Red Sonia Valentine's Day special and the Dark Knights of Steel number four from the 8th and 9th of February, we have Secret X-Men, Draculina, Strange Love Adventures, and New Mutants. From the 15th and 16th, we are going to discuss Marvel's Voices Legacy, Rain number 2, Dirtbag Rapture number 5, Homesick Pilots 12, Thor 22, and Nightwing 89. There is a poll list for the following week, and finally we'll wrap things up discussing the Book of Boba Fett finale, episode 7, titled In the Name of Honor. If you're at all interested in finding me online, my Instagram is Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and I have the comics. I on Twitter you can find me under Savage She Geek, and my website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com, which does have highlights on the front page about some characters who are going to become very relevant either either or the, between the MCU and the comic universes soon, and those are Madeline Pryor, aka the Goblin Queen, Ileana Rasputin, aka Magic, and Clea, aka the new Sorcerer Supreme at Marvel, who is expected to be in the new Multiverse of Madness movie this May. On my site, you can also find pod notes, which are the notes I keep for each podcast's recording. Um, you can read those, or if this is somebody who is hearing impaired, they can read those to keep up with the podcast instead of listening as well. I also have links to everywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which is most podcast hosting sites, including YouTube, where I post them all in one nice little playlist and um i also post action figure review videos i've got the marvel legends binary review up there uh going over some history of the con of the comic character as well and hopefully i'll be getting a toy um collection update up there soon as well i have a podcast patreon it is sensational she geek set up for donations to support the podcast and i also have a ko-fi cash app venmo and paypal all linked on my link tree at the bottom of each episode's description let's get this party started We've got a couple of trailers to discuss today, starting off with the Moon Knight spot from the Super Bowl. There wasn't a whole ton of new things from this, but we did get it confirmed that Mr. Knight, um, assuming that'll be the persona, is going to be in the show. He is the version of Moon Knight who wears the hood and the uh, more like the balaclava and the uh, white suit. Um, it's very popular among readers of the Moon Knight comics, and they are, it does seem, bringing it into the movie as one of his Moon Knight personas. Other than that, Moon Knight is coming out in just about three weeks. It is pretty exciting. Um, I've gone over the what to expect from the show or the comic history a number of times, so you can find all of that in the history of the podcast. 
We also had a Multiverse of Madness trailer release over the Super Bowl, and this is actually a new one that we hadn't seen at the back of another movie yet. <laughs> Um, what we had, the big, the big points of this Multiverse of Madness trailer is that there are two Wandas, seemingly a good and a bad one. There are at least two Stranges, seemingly are strange and a bad one. Um, and it would appear that the Illuminati have taken hold of the Marvel Universe. They're there. Whatever they're doing, they're there. Um, traditionally, the Illuminati would be Professor X, Doctor Strange, Black Bolt, Iron Man, Namor, and Black Panther. Captain America was on it briefly, but they wiped his memory because they're assholes. Um, so what they give us is they gave us a room full of chairs. Um, I believe it was seven chairs, and you can kind of see Mordo is on one of them. Um, shock of shocks, we got Patrick Stewart we don't actually see his face, but we hear his voice and we see his ear. For some reason, it is definably Patrick Stewart's ear. Not sure how that works, but it does. Um, and then there's a number of other figures that we're not sure who they are yet. And there is specifically one figure who seems to be some kind of flaming super suit person uh, who goes f uh, firing like flames and stuff. Most likely, this is Monica Rambeau, Captain Marvel. Um, there's been all these crazy, crazy guesses of people what they think that this this person is. I think the clearest shots anybody has been able to clarify um, has shown it's definitely a woman. It's most likely a black woman. Um, so Monica Rambeau, I would put my argument there. Some people are saying that it's Maria Rambeau. Monica's mother, who is from a different reality, where in that reality she was the one to go up in that test plane, not Carol. Um, and so she was the one who got the Captain Marvel abilities from the start. So either way, um, I would be super thrilled. If it's Maria, she obviously has to come from a different reality. If it's Monica, she doesn't necessarily have to come from a different reality. Um, there's no reason that the Monica Rambo that we saw in WandaVision cannot be her own superhero in that same universe. Also, if I see another Photoshop of Tom Cruise as Superior Spider-Man, I am going to take out Tom Taylor myself. There is zero reason to think that Superior Iron Man is that figure. Um, it is not a, uh, a mask, the way some people are saying. He does not have a soul stone or mind stone or anything in his... There's so many edits where he has an infinity gem in his health. It's not a thing. Um, Superior Iron Man was just this asshole version of Tony who, like, went kind of prime evil and I'm pretty sure his suit was made out of a symbiote of some sort in part so he he really couldn't be on fire because symbiotes don't do fire um so that's definitely not him just I'm just listing reasons now plus they're not gonna they're not gonna put in an evil version of Iron Man who they just made that big fucking deal about killing and saving the world when he dies, you know? Like, that's that just doesn't make any sense. They spend the first 10 years building the MCU around him, have him sacrifice himself, and then immediately come out and tarnish his legacy. That just would not check out for me. Um, but if you have any really cool theories, uh, there is the shot of America Chavez. Looks like she's tied up or something. There is some really cool theory that that is possibly Sidorak, you know, the Crimson Bands of Sidorak that... Um, a is the thing that Doctor Strange uses, and B is actually a tie-in to um, 
to the X-Men in terms of Juggernaut. Juggernaut gets his powers from Sidorak too. So um, that's probably one of my favorite theories that I've seen coming out of this trailer. Um, I think my where I land on what the world is, where there's all those floaty realms, I'm 99% sure that's the Dark Dimension. Um, having gone back through and reread a bunch of Clea's uh, issues recently, I rediscovered that the Dark Dimension it looks exactly like that. So, um, with the floating, just floating bits of land all over the place, physics not making sense. It's literally described like that. So... I'm pretty sure that's the Dark Dimension, and we are going to see Clea. We also got a teaser and some teaser images for the new upcoming Lord of the Rings series on Amazon, The Rings of Power, uh, is coming out September 2nd, and to be honest, I, I was kind of planning on doing a whole Rings of Power intro and explanation. Oh my god, I can't. It's too much. It's so much. I, it's it's unbelievably a lot. I am already working so much on the podcast uh, stuff for the podcast right now, adding a whole new universe to explain, especially one with that kind of intense lore. I would not end up with anything decent to tell you. It, it's just it's so much. Um, it's so much. I just I just don't know what else to say except for the Lord of the Rings lore is just so much. Which is impressive and is fantastic because it's this great world that you could just fall into and absorb. Um, but in terms of me laying it all out in front of you and explaining it in terms that would make sense to anybody, I'm just not going to have a chance to do that. It would be way too much work for me in the next couple of months with what I already have planned out. But after watching the teaser and checking out all the images and the articles on variety and stuff... The highlight of this show, Galadriel. Galadriel, Galadriel, Galadriel. I loved Galadriel um, watching the movies and everything. Um, she's always been a favorite character of mine. And the fact that this is more or less going to revolve around her is so cool to me. Um, I know there's been a little bit of controversy. There are some people who don't like her appearance. And I'm really genuinely not sure why that is. Um, this is thousands of years before we see her in the Fellowship of the Ring, so mm, I, 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 of course she's going to change somewhat, you know, even elves change. <laughs> there has been a bit of um, controversy over two other factors, one being um, Dwarf Princess, who is shown in the trailer and who they showed some uh, behind-the-scenes shots of who does not have a beard and there were a lot of people who were lit up about this for some reason it matters to them um, that the women have beards because yes it is said that they do have beards in the Tolkien world however what we are looking at is not a dwarven commoner we are looking at a dwarven princess crown princess if i'm not mistaken um, so of course she is going to probably be the most feminine example of her people. She will probably be far more feminized than any of the other women who work in mines or kitchens. I don't know what dwarven women do. Whatever it is they do, they probably don't bother with the beard trimming. Of course the princess will. Yes, you can probably argue that, oh, well, the princess would want to show off her greatly tamed beard. Whatever, dude. Whatever. <laughs> The other, the last point that people are trying to argue is that there should not be people of color in Tolkien's universe. 
not sure how they get that. I understand if he didn't write about them specifically. Um, you know, that's one thing. <laughs> but it's another thing to completely assume that another, let's just call it another planet, would um, not evolve to have any other skin tone but one. That does not make sense. I understand we're talking about Lord of the Rings and fantasy and stuff here, but you still have evolution, you know? And it's because of things like evolution that there become different skin tones based on where you live. Not a difficult concept. <laughs> For the rest of our news here, stepping out of the trailers, um, the Obi-Wan show, we're going to list through a lot of this stuff pretty quickly. The Obi-Wan show has been announced its premiere date, and that is May 25th. Really wanted it to be May the 4th, but it looks like they're going for the anniversary of episode one, when we first met Obi-Wan, I suppose. Um, so that's fine, whatever. I still think May the 4th would have been an even better choice. We are also getting a date for the X-Men animated series, and that is mid-2023. That's the best that they got for us right now. Uh, Russell Crowe has been cast in the Craven movie. Speculation is that he is going to be the original Craven, and Aaron Taylor, or is it Aaron Johnson? I'm not sure which one was his original last name. Uh, might be his successor who kills him and takes his place, as happens in the comics. We had a first official, not official, but first uh, kind of HD look of Ma Michael Keaton's Batsuit for the Batgirl movie. It looks a lot like his old suit, I would say, with a little bit better legs and possibly slightly more geometric. Uh, you see him in the shots with James Gordon, who is played by J.K. Simmons. Um really kind of pushing the narrative that they might be swapping out Batfleck for Keaton, which I, I don't even have an opinion on that anymore. It's just been so much for so long. I just don't even care. Just hurry up and tell us what the status quo is and get on with it. Uh, we have Anthony Ramos was cast in Ironheart, the upcoming Disney Plus TV show. Sources say that it will be a role similar to Jonathan Majors' Kang in Loki, which leaves me with a theory that he will be playing Iron Lad. I don't see how it could be anything else, because Iron Lad is a Kang, literally a Kang variant, so <laughs> I think that would be a pretty obvious choice. Now, um, the Lord of the Rings War of the Ruhirim animated movie gave its first look. It's really just a single image. It's not really a first look at anything. Uh, it looks much like the, um, the movies that we've seen in for the Lord of the Rings universe before, which is great. It is going to be an original anime feature from New Line Cinema, Cinema and Warner Brothers Animation. It's going to be released April 12th, 2024. It is set roughly two centuries before the events of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. It will explore the exploits of Helm Hammerhand, the King of Rohan, and the creation of Helm's Deep, the stronghold that features prominently in The Two Towers. Philippa Boyens, who was part of the Oscar-winning screenwriting team for The Lord of the Rings the and The Hobbit trilogies, is executive producing the film. It is also totally separate from Amazon Prime's Middle-earth series, The Rings of Power, and is set, well, which is set a millennia before any of this goes on. This is simply 200, two centuries, 200 years before uh, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. War, uh, Rings of Power is several thousand. 
Blade Runner 2099 is getting an Amazon series. Um, not sure I, if it's live action or what, but um, it's going to be coming from Ridley Scott. And it will be following the 82 Blade Runner, which was the adaption of Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, as well as the 2017 sequel, which was set in 2049, uh, starring Ryan Gosling. The 2099 title, uh, the latest installment, will be set 50 years after that sequel. The Blade Runner Black Lotus is an anime series that debuted late last year that is set in 2032 and centers around a female replicant who is voiced by Jessica Henwick. So it's unsure what the plot of this 2099 series would be at this point, um, but it's possible that um, it spins out of something that we've already seen from the Blade Runner universe that would only make sense. And finally... SH Figure Arts released official photos of their Thor Love and Thunder action figures, which gives us some decent insight on the movie. Um, the figure of Jane has ombre hair going from brown to blonde. She also has Mjolnir, which remember Hela destroyed. Mjolnir is still broken. It looks like it's being held together with something. Um, and then Thor's outfit is obviously a Masterson-inspired look from the Masterson Thor era. Um, really curious about Jane and the Hammer. Uh, we already saw uh, some leaked pictures of Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. Um, she is now the king of Asgard, so that will be... I don't know, I'm just really excited for this movie. I have no idea what they're going to give us. I really don't, but I think it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Finally, I have... The one singular rumor today, and that is the rumor that the goddess Bass will be appearing in Thor Love and Thunder, possibly to later cross over with in Wakanda Forever. She is going to be played by Akosia Sabat. Uh, again, Bass is just the rumored character she'll be playing. And the reason that it has any legs to stand on is because Gore the God Butcher is being played by Christian Bale in Love and Thunder, and Russell Crowe will be playing Zeus. So it's possible to be seeing a number of pantheons of gods and um, deities and whatnot. Let's go ahead and get through the comic book picks. There's a number of things that came out in the past couple of weeks that I will just not be able to get to because of time reasons. Um, but I would like to discuss a few things. First, the Red Sonia Valentine's Day special was really cute. Um, it was Keen Valley citizens being killed by evil cherubs, and this woman, um, her this woman Ambrose, her husband, is taken by them, and she vows to get him back. Enter Red Sonia into Keen Valley. She hears of their needs for aid and says to gather the gold for payment. Along the journey, she meets Ambrose, who impresses her with her skill and rage in the name of love. Together, they save her husband and kill the goblin cherubs, then all get to relax in the region's famed hot springs. Dark Knights of Steel number four was a guest artist telling the story of Bruce Wayne. Yes, he is half Kryptonian. Um, we get another issue of Dark Knights of Steel. It's already out and I can't wait to talk about that one too. Secret X-Men number one came out on the 9th of um, February, one month. Uh, it, it was fun, a bit wordy. It kind of relies on you having really wanted one or more of those characters to have been in the main X-Men team. 
Deathbird ends up getting kidnapped, so they are now kind of the Shi'ar X-Men and are going to rescue her, presumably. Draculina number one by Christopher Priest had fantastic art and was honestly a lot better than I expected. Draculina and this teenage girl share a body, one waking up when the other dozes off wherever the other had just been. Draculina, Draculina is using this to try and kill the other girl um, by whatever means she can. Now, Draculina is a vampire from the planet Draculon. She is technically the sister of Vampirella. Um, and in this world, she is River East, a famous actress. But that is Draculina is her, like, secret um, identity, you know. Strange Love Adventures was a cute start from Tom King. Um, I'm talking about the wrong thing here, aren't I? Yep, I'm talking about the wrong thing. It, scratch that. Strange Love Adventures was the DC Valentine's Day special. It was mediocre at best. Um, New Mutants number 24. Really, really fantastic issue. Touched on some excellent points. But the art was very bad. <laughs> it does bring in the first interaction since the 80s of Ileana and Madeline Pryor, who is fully Goblin Queen and robed. It would seem that Ileana is feeling the pull from many directions as a leader on Krakoa and the Sorceress Supreme of Limbo, and ruler of Limbo. So she offers Madeline a try at everything she's ever wanted, in her own words. It would seem that they would be fighting, like hating each other, over Limbo before, but now it's starting to look like magic is giving her a trial basis rulership to things to see how things go without her. I, for one, am very curious to see how all of this goes. I don't actually have anything to say about Devil's Reign 4, except that Betsy Cola cover, yo! Let's see, coming out on the 16th, we had Marvel's Voices Legacy, number one. This contains stories about T'Challa, aka Black Panther, Sam Wilson, aka Captain America, Misty Knight and Luke Cage, Shuri featuring various Wakandans, Monica Rambeau, aka Spectrum, Celia Reyes, Moon Girl, Runa, Adam Brasher, a.k.a. Blue Marvel, and Miles Morales, a.k.a. Spider-Man, with Starling. A number of those characters I am very familiar with, and a couple I am very not familiar with. So it was a pretty good mix of um, new and old. Rain number two is told by Joe Hill. It's a, written, it's a story by Joe Hill. It's written by David Booher. The art is by Zoe Thorogood and colors by Chris O'Halloran, and I love it. It starts with the character Honeysuckle carrying her dead fiancé inside to pick all the spikes out of her body. She decides to go to Denver to find her fiancé's father and tell him about his wife and daughter dying because she can't get a hold of him. It's 30 miles, but she has to walk because of the crystal nails. She's attacked by a cult who claim their elder predicted the rains. They're going to kidnap her, but are interrupted by some cowboy type, giving Honeysuckle the chance to attack them first. They beat the cultist's asses. Turns out the guy's an MMA fighter and he's joining her cause, so to say. In the end of the issue, she discovers that the kid she babysits followed her out there and is now stuck with her on this journey. Dirtbag Rapture number five was the finale of this thrilling series. I don't know if thrilling is the right word, but I really, really enjoyed it. This is by Christopher Sabella and Kendall Good with colors by Gab Contreras. It is a beautiful work of art. I adore it. 10 out of 10 ending. It did not flatten out the way that a lot of these miniseries do. Where we left off was Cat went beyond the edge of reality of her inner soul, 
basically, and found the, the great creator who is a blob creature smoking bong rips fed to him by cherubs. Basically, it doesn't know or care how to help and kicks her out. <laughs> Kat takes uh, the dawn to take in everything that she enjoys about life and appreciate the beauty of what she has around her. When she gets home, the demons and angels are already there. She and her friends battle them off in various ways, but they eventually get to her and get into her, tearing up her mindscape. Then the ghosts of her mindscape show up to battle, including the many, many that slipped through the cracks while she was setting it up and just chilled there silently, alluring to fight by killing angels and demons that tried to sneak in through the years. And they win. And when it's over, instead of cleaning up the whole place, Kat reveals she figured out how to get back to the place beyond and opens a door there. All the ghosts leave except for Hannah, the one she encountered in the first issue that started all of this. Kat decides to help her out and then quit the ghost walker life. We get filled in on Kat's friends, too, who all have excellent things going for them in their own lives. Kat takes Hannah as per her quest request to the middle of the outback, and as she leaves, she encounters a ghost asking for help. Kat decides to help her, but pro bono now. Hearing this, Hannah decides she wants to stick around and help out, and they are a team! I don't know, I loved it. It was a great ending, okay? Homesick Pilots is still going and had issue 12 by Dan Waters and Casper Wingard. The two ghosts now are, or the two ghost-powered mechs, I should say, are at a fight. Uh, meanwhile, the boys go looking for the haunted toilet seat. They find it in a rotting town, abandoned and dripping in stench. The toilet seat is being guarded by the last guard who was abandoned in the tunnels and is still there. In 1941, this town was one just like the town where they, where the other ghost mech was created, where the ghosts were experimented on. They had the horseshoe and the toilet seat. The toilet seat ghost started infecting everything and everyone with a sort of black mold that would drive them insane and kill them, so everything was shut down. The horseshoe had already escaped, but didn't bother trying to help the other ghost. Rip starts losing it. Then he encounters General Razor and the guy the guy at the other testing facility who they thought had died. He morphed into the ghost of his grandfather, creating a weird, messed up body. <laughs> and when we finally see the guard in the basement guarding the toilet seat, he has long since melded in with a black mold, and the ghost who is there is a woman of rage and grief. Thor number 22 was by Donny Cates and Nick Klein, who clearly is having a hell of a time mimicking the Walt Simonson style of Thor outfit designs. I've been keeping up with the events of this comic really loosely because I don't really jive with a lot of the particulars of the storytelling, but I like where the overall story is going more or less. In Thor 300 in 1980, it was revealed that Gaia, one of the elemental gods of the Marvel Universe and the physical embodiment of Earth herself, is the true mother of Thor, in part with the Phoenix Force 2 thanks to Jason Aaron, which was possessing Gaia at the time. Mjolnir hated that Odin captured it from the cosmos all those eons ago and trapped it as a hammer, so when Mangog possessed it and gave it physical form of its own again, it took the opportunity without question. Now, of course, the Mangog is inside, poisoning it with evil. Thor draws the power of his true mother to protect his allies and fight this creature. And then Odin reveals that the All Force, or whatever, Odin Force, cannot be fully transferred until the death of its previous user. So he sacrifices himself, and then we get to see Thor in a bright gold, Simonson-style, all-father Odin Force look. And it is heavy metal, I guess. <laughs> it's fun. Um, 
we'll see the next few issues if I want to keep this one. Finally, Nightwing number 89. It's by Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo with colors by Adriano Lucas. This was a very cute issue, part one of two of a tie-in with Son of Kal-El, which is going to come out this next week, Son of Kal-El number nine. Um, it has a, this issue, Nightwing, had a flashback to early rebirth period when Nightwing and Batman went to find a lost and scared, newly powered John Kent Superboy in a cave. And it's the first time that those two meet. At the time, John was much younger than Dick, who was a grown adult compared to John's preteen age. Nowadays, John went to the future for some time and returned to the present a grown man himself, only a year or two younger than Dick, if that. In this story, Dick Grayson is meeting John's boyfriend, known undercover as Gossamer. John came along John came along for backup, so when a co-worker of Gossamer's reports a dead superhuman in Metropolis, Nightwing and Superman show up to investigate. He was an ex-teen titan, though only briefly, and invulnerable, so whoever killed him must have been enormously powerful. John finds traces of a trail of their flighted murderer, which leads them to none other than, of course, LexCorp. I'm gonna go ahead and jump right into the Book of Boba Fett finale now. It is titled... Uh, in the name of honor it's the seventh episode of the series and the final episode um, i'd like to take a moment to think about the title of the show for a moment book of boba fett some people think that there is no reason for a second season and i would honestly agree with them um but with none of their outrage this was among star wars lore the book of boba fett it had a beginning a middle and an end it was a spin-off chapter from the mandalorian a break of scenery a side quest if you will that we are likely going to return now to the main story that they have been working on setting up for mando and whatever other shows are coming um so i do not be surprised or upset about there not being another one this is all the same universe and it's all connected so having had the Book of Boba Fett and not having season two is not a loss. It's a gain that we haven't had any at all. Can we just see it from that perspective? Uh, things that I loved about this episode, this was a really, really fun one. Uh, obviously the most exciting thing in my mind being that Grogu did make his choice and his choice was to stay with Mando and call Luke a bitch, <laughs> you know. So we can assume. Um, so he flies Luke's plane all the way to Tatooine to help his his uh, Mando dad. And um, it's, it was really cute because the plane shows up at um, at Pilimoto's garage. And uh, you think that it's going to be Luke in there. It's Luke's plane. And you see R2 is in the back. Um, and the thing opens up and nope, nope, it's, it's, uh, it's Grogu, little tiny Grogu sitting there piloting this big old plane. So cute, obviously. Um, Mando is already at this point getting ready to, to getting set up for the battle so that he, so he's in at Pilimoto's garage, but she obviously knows who Grogu is, knows who Mando is. So she's going to help him out. Cad Bane and Boba Fett have their standoff. They obviously have a ton of history. The stuff that was in the Clone Wars, stuff that was supposed to be in the Clone Wars. Um, I talked about that in the last episode, so you can check that out if you really want the details on it. Um, but they do reference a good deal of that Clone Wars stuff here in this episode, so you can imagine that that's all still solid canon. Um, 
And it is Cad Bane who does tell Boba that the Pike Syndicate killed his Tusken Raider friends. Boba doesn't believe him, but eventually he does. And at the end of their fight, he's able to seemingly kill Cad Bane with his Tusken Spear. Kernaston battles the Trandoshans yet again, and of course he wins because he's... I said Kernaston, didn't I? Kersantan. Uh, there is a number of really stellar Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid references. Again, all of these... Um, all of these Star Wars Disney Plus TV shows have so much um, spaghetti western and old-timey western influences in them, and... It was, as somebody who has not seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid since I was a child, I watched the scene of him, of Mando and Boba. It was so obvious. It was so clear. It was so well done. I, I, uh, so clear. <laughs> um, I really love that they got those references and that they got them to be so obvious that it wasn't like they were trying to do do the thing. It was, this is a clear reference to another cowboy movie that is just as legendary as a lot of those spaghetti westerns um we also got to see these crazy robots they're called scorpionic droids this is the first time that we saw them in star wars canon live action uh they are somewhat related to um the droids who we would see that the Empire had, the little round ones whose names I can't remember right now. Um, but one funny thing, Grogu takes down one of these droids by pulling out a specific joint ball, which is of course funny because, you know, he has his own little ball that he loves to play with and here he's got this bigger one now. But my husband pointed out, Mace Windu's force power was to be able to find the weak spot in any opponent. Knowing that Grogu was taught on Coruscant, is it possible that Mace Windu taught that to Grogu, because as soon as he takes that joint out, the whole robot just collapses and it can't do anything and everybody can- it's done. That's it. Um, really, really... I'm curious if that's- I, I highly doubt it, but that's a really interesting thing for me. Did, was he taught by Mace Windu to do that? <laughs> Uh, the Major Dormo is still around. He does not die somehow, um, but he acts as negotiator at one point in the episode. Um, Boa basically sends him out to say, never will I ever. <laughs> and then when the, uh, let's see, when the, what are they called? Scorpionic droids. It's not an easy thing to say. When the Scorpionic droids uh, start getting a bit too much for everybody to handle, we get Boba Fett riding his Rancor. That was so cool. The Rancor can climb all over the buildings and run and jump and do all kinds of stuff that like a horse wouldn't be able to. It's like it's like a dragon horse. <laughs> um, really, really awesome. This was obviously a callback to Boba's first appearance in the Star Wars Holiday Special where he rode a some kind of dinosaur looking thing who honestly knows what that was also as we discussed in a previous episode the witches of dathomir used to ride rancors all the time so makes sense and we get another great star wars do it uh when he tells the rancor to go ahead and destroy the scorpion neck droid so that's pretty cool uh after the fact you get um the, the the rancors like kind of having issues being mad i don't remember where boba went off to but um it ends up being for some reason these idiots all start shooting at it because i think that's gonna make it stop fighting them um because 
Boba's gone and it's kind of out of control, but it is baby Grogu who comes up and touches its face and calms the rancor. That shit was so cute. Um, some people are saying that it could be a recurrence of Qui-Gon Jinn's animal force control thing, um, or it could just be the standard communication through the force that Jedi and animals and whatnot can do. And in the post credit scene, we see that Cobb Vanth is alive, if barely. He is in the back to tank for of Boba Fett with the mod artist. So he will be back. He is the Marshal of Freetown, and I have no doubt that we'll see him. But how will he be when he see, we see he got shot in the shoulder? Is he going to have a whole chest replacement? Is he going to need a shoulder and arm replacement? I don't know. But I'm excited to see more Cobb Vanth in whatever it's going to come next. Probably... Uh, season three of Mando, I think, is probably what's next. I don't know. And of course, Grogu and the Mandalorian take off in his new ship together with Grogu's little ball and Grogu seated in the droid pit up top. And he he taps the glass a bunch to try and get Mando to do the thing. And the thing is taking off really fast and watching the stars go by. Because he's up in the little bubble, right? Up in the top of the ship where the droids usually sit. It's cute, okay? <laughs> I really, really enjoyed that finale. Um, I don't think we're gonna get more Book of Boba Fett. I definitely think we'll see these characters again, just in a different series, which is totally fine with me. Um, it's all it's all related, and I love Star Wars. I heart Star Wars. <laughs> That's the end of this episode. It's a bit of a shorter one because I'm trying to crank them out today. Um, check out the other episodes that I'm posting all in one chunk. Uh, and have a excellent rest of your whatever time it is. <laughs>